Hey friends, if you didn't know, now you know, Loud and I are hosting a giveaway. That's right. If you rate the podcast and leave a review, you will be automatically entered to win a $50 Whole Foods gift card and a signed copy of Made Whole, Made Simple, my newest book. Then during the episodes in April, Laura and I will choose a winner from all the reviews we see online. And that winner will be announced during the episodes in April, and they will win the $50 Whole Foods gift card and a signed copy of my next book. So what does that mean for you? That means you better subscribe and leave a review. <laughs> May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. This is the BodyWise Podcast. Thank you for joining Laura and Christina for another intimate exploration of collective wisdom. Hey, and welcome back to the show. Christina here flying solo again and really excited about our guest today. Dr. Will Cole is a leading functional medicine expert who consults people around the world via webcam at www.drwillcole.com and locally in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he lives with his family. He specializes in clinically investigating the underlying factors in chronic disease and then customizing health programs. He was named one of the top 50 functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation. He's the international best-selling author of Ketotarian, the mostly plant-based plan to burn fat, boost your energy, crush your cravings, and calm inflammation. And more recently, the inflammation spectrum, find your food triggers and reset your system. I'm super excited to talk about a second book. I read it. I loved it. And I just, we're going to dive deep into healing through food and reintroductions and elimination protocols and intuitive eating. Dr. Cole also does the Goop uh, Fellows podcast, which is really cool. Um, So he knows Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, (laughs) So yeah, we're really excited. Please remember all my my beautiful listeners out there to subscribe and also leave a review especially on iTunes. It's kind of like Amazon for books, you know, reviews really help. Honest reviews. You don't have to leave five stars if you don't, <laughs> that's not what you're thinking, but we want your feedback and that's how we know how to make this podcast better for all of you. All right. Without further ado, Dr. Wilkel, everybody. Thanks so much for being on the show, Dr. Cole. I'm really excited to have you here. I absolutely love the inflammation spectrum. It's, it's wonderful. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's very kind of you. I'm, I'm excited to be on as well. Yeah. So I always start with my guests with just kind of this, it's a little of a vague question, but I think it can lead to some more fun. So what's something that you're really curious about right now? I am curious about so many things about human health, but I guess specifically because I've really been immersed in the past couple of years in inflammation. I'm fascinated about what drives inflammation in people's bodies. So I guess mm-hmm. that would be what I'm curious about, but I'm very, very just curious by nature about so many things. So I'm also curious about World War II history, wow. <laughs> strange non-things, non-health stuff as well. Yeah. But if we're talking about health, I guess it would be the drivers of inflammation and the manifestation of inflammation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a really good, because my husband loves, he's in the Navy and so we love okay. like World War II history, but there's a really good uh, documentary called It's World War II in Color on oh, Netflix. That's, w- that's what it is. That's what, what has so me good. curious about it. My 13-year-old son and I, are watching that with 
with such interest. So it's that's funny. That's what it was that made me go down that rabbit hole. Of, yes, of, we love it. My grandfather was a was fought in World War II, and um, it's just really cool. I love, yeah, the history is incredible. But yeah. so is inflammation, which is something that, you know, I know your food is such a big part of how you help people, and that can be such a driver of inflammation, right? With like insulin, or is it the omega-3s, you know, balance. Um, what do you think? Like, what do you think in the standard American diet or like people today? What do you feel is the big, one of the biggest drivers of inflammation? Well, yeah. And, and maybe if I could start just inflammation for people that don't get that or understand exactly what we're sure. talking about, because it can be quite an ambiguous, nebulous sort of term, but it is really a manifestation of our immune system. It's a product of our immune system. It's actually an important part of our human health mm-hmm. when it's in balance. So it fights viruses and bacteria, it heals wounds. It's part of cellular functioning, cell membrane function. So it's an important part when in balance, but when it's thrown out of balance, that's when problems arise. So typically when people, when you hear the word inflammation thrown around, you know, on social media or in health blogs, in the health space, what they're talking about typically is chronic inflammation. And every health problem that we face as a society today, almost without exception, at least to some degree, is either a full-blown chronic inflammatory health problem or has inflammatory components to them because it's out of balance. It's out of balance of bodies out of balance for these health problems. So when you look at things like heart disease and cancer and diabetes, all of those are chronic inflammatory health problems. Autoimmune conditions are chronic inflammatory to even the mental health uh, epidemic that we're seeing as a world with anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog. There's a whole field of research looking at this referred to as the cytokine model of cognitive function. And cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. So it's looking at how inflammation is impacting mental health because we cannot and we should not separate mental health from physical health. Mental health is physical health and there are physiological components that's causing it. So everything we do in life, in the world, in our, in our life from sunup to sundown is constantly and dynamically instructing our physiology. And part of that physiological instruction is it's instructing inflammatory cascades or inflammatory pathways in the body. So the foods we're eating or the foods we're not eating, our stress levels, our exposure to toxins, our sleep or lack of it, chronic infections, all of these things are constantly and dynamically influencing genetic expression and influencing biochemistry. So that is uh, really the heart of what I do with functional medicine. And my my day job is is consulting patients around the world via our virtual functional medicine practice. And and how the book, The Inflammation Spectrum, came to be was me consulting patients for the past 11 years and seeing the different far-reaching manifestations of inflammation in people's body. So the book is really just the the culmination of that for people that maybe wouldn't necessarily be patients of, of mine, but I wanted to educate people on what I've seen and how while one side of the coin is it's sobering to look at the statistics of chronic health problems and the way that chronic inflammation is impacting so many people of, of more numbers than ever before in human history. But the other side of the coin is that we understand these health problems so much more. So there's a lot of research, exciting research in the scientific literature of ways for us to modulate our health, a way for us to have agency over our wellness. So we have to look at all the variables of of epigenetics, the lifestyle stuff that we do that influences our health. And part of that is influencing inflammation. Absolutely. I think people 
kind of don't make that connection between the immune system and inflammation all the time. You know, I kind of, it reminds me of um, the seagulls and finding Nemo, you know, they're saying mine, 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 our immune system is constantly saying, you know, like, this isn't me, this isn't me, this is me, this is not me, you know? And I think that when we get into the, when it's screaming, this isn't me (laughs) all the time is when we get that inflammation because, you know, everything we go into contact or in contact with, I mean, the food we're putting into our body, the, you know, the beauty products we're putting on our skin, it's constantly saying like, this is my body, this is not my body. And then defending Right. right from what is not. Totally. And a study that I mentioned in the book is researchers kind of estimate that our genetics, the human DNA hasn't changed in 10,000 years, but yet what our genetics are exposed to has changed very dramatically in a very short period of time when you're putting it in context with the totality of human history. So yeah, you're right. The skin products that people are using, technology and and food supply and soil depletion, air quality, water quality, all of these things, our genetics are like, what the heck? We're being barraged by the amount of stressors all at once. And it's triggering these genetic predispositions that, again, have been resting latently for 10,000 years, but are being triggered like never before because the amount of epigenetic modulators are these these right. triggers these, that are awakening that genetic predisposition. Right, the switches. Yeah, I'm yeah. someone, so I have like autoimmune issues and I have an autoinflammatory skin condition. And so discovering the connections there and then applying the lifestyle and dietary tools to, you know, kind of change that message for my body have been huge. But again, the, that information isn't always, it's not out there. You have to dig and dig and research. And so your book is is, is going to help so many people because it puts that information out there. And I love the self-assessment part of it. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you use that self-assessment, like that assessment with your in your practice and how you put it in the book for people to kind of assess themselves. And it's kind of like having you, but like in their living room. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny thing with my job too, because we do primarily webcam consultation. So I, it's funny, patients can like have their visits in their pajamas or like <laughs> when they're like in the car on their lunch break, it's funny. But yeah, the book's like a whole different level of that. It's, it's And actually that quiz is adapted from questions that I ask patients online. So it is for the person that's maybe they're not ready to have a functional medicine doctor in their life, or they maybe don't need it, or they don't have access, or just just they want to take start on their journey on their own, which I so I wrote the book for people to kind of take these functional medicine principles that I've seen transform people's lives over the past 11 years and start doing these things that they can do on their own. So the quiz uh, takes people through the inflammation spectrum to allow them to discover where they're at on the inflammation spectrum. And what I'm talking about when I say that is on one end of the inflammation spectrum, it's the mild fatigue, the background anxiety, the low grade, like bloating, digestive problems on one end of the inflammation spectrum. And then the other end of the inflammation spectrum is the overt, you know, diagnosable autoimmune condition or mental health issue or diabetes or heart disease, whatever that is, and then everything in between. So the way that I put the inflammation spectrum in, and described it in the book is that the seven main sections on the inflammation spectrum. So we're talking about gut, the gut health, brain health, and the connection between the two. We're talking about blood sugar regulation system, the hormonal regulation system, the detoxification regulation system, musculoskeletal system, and autoimmunity as a separate entity when the immune system attacks the body. And that's what we're talking about autoimmunity there. And then the eighth is 
what I call polyinflammation. It's the interconnectedness of the seven where inflammation in one area can beget inflammation in the other area. So through the quiz, they go through those seven sections on the inflammation spectrum, and then they can say, okay, where is my total score? Which again is adapted from questions that I ask patients. They can kind of see subjectively, okay, where could my inflammation levels be? Where am I at? Um, and then not only that, your total score, but you can find your total, your, your individual sections that you need to focus on more. Maybe it's more brain inflammation and it's causing anxiety or brain fog or fatigue for some person, or maybe it's more digestive and they're having you know, IBS symptoms or colitis symptoms or constipation for the next person, or maybe the next person it's hormone and they're having thyroid symptoms or HPA axis or adrenal fatigue, quote unquote, symptoms. Right. I mean, so on and so forth. We're going through all these systems of the body. So each section on the inflammation spectrum, each system on the inflammation spectrum, they have their own toolbox of different things to focus on that studies are pointing to to be beneficial to be supporting that specific area. So for example, the brain area has things like nootropics or right. um, adaptogens to help with brain function. Or if it's the gut, it's bringing things like different herbs to help with gut health and supporting gut health. So that is, that's what the quiz is meant to do. It's really meant to fine tune and personalize the reader's experience to choose their own health journey, you know, and, and enable them to tailor it based on their individual, individual issues. And that's the heart of functional medicine, really. It's what does your body love? And that's the overarching question in the book is instead of me saying, this is the magic cure for all your problems, mm -hmm. I want you to find your own self-experiment, your own N equals one experiment to see, okay, what, what works for your body and it allowing you to, to learn that for yourself. Yeah, that's wonderful. And so needed in the space. I think that a lot of the online wellness spaces, people sharing what's worked for them. And that's wonderful. And I mean, I even started out that way, like, Hey, I did the autoimmune protocol or, Hey, I did a whole 30 and this was life-changing. But again, it's, mm -hmm. you know, just cause something works for me, it can be a gateway kind of, but I think that that bio-individual um, approach to wellness is just, that's where it's at. You know, that's where we find the mm -hmm. sustainability where to make it a lifestyle, to make it long-term. And you give totally. people, you outline two elimination protocols. So you have the core four and eliminate. And eliminate was kind of like when I read that, I'm like, oh, that's me. <laughs> I'm like, nightshade free over here. But I love that because I think that it, you don't kind of escalate. It gives people like, hey, not everyone needs to go all the way, right? And so how do you like, and, and someone would choose which path depending on their scores, right? Totally, yeah. So the, the people that scored lower on the quiz uh, have the core four plan. Uh, and that is we're removing four foods for four weeks and then slowly reintroducing them. So maybe I should back up a little bit. The reason why we're doing that elimination diet approach, because it's still the gold standard in functional medicine, in clinical nutrition, but it should be well properly formulated and it should be to give you the answers that you need to, to find out what your body loves and hates. You have to know how to do it right because many people are doing these elimination diet protocols and then they are haphazard and they're not well formulated to begin with. And then when the reintroduction is even worse than the elimination yes. part. And it's like, okay, what you're not just necessarily meant to remove those foods forever and ever. You're meant to bring them back in to see what your body loves and what your body doesn't like. Um, so anyways, the core four uh, is our grains, added sugar, 
high omega-6 oils, industrial seed oils, basically right. like canola and vegetable oil and conventional dairy. Now, look, I have, I'm having nuanced conversations about these foods. So I'm realizing that not, I, I know not all dairies raised, right. created equally. Uh, so we're talking about beta A1, beta A2. We're talking about goat versus dairy. I mean, we're definitely having nuanced conversations in there. So I'm not making broad sweeping statements on that. But And then during the reintroduction, you can bring back the ones that are shown in the studies to be one of the ones more likely to be problematic, which ones are less likely. So you can start with the generally the least offensive one and then lower, slowly bring it back in if you're missing any of these foods and you want to try to bring it back in during the reintroduction phase. So that's the core four. It's four foods for four weeks. And then the eliminate track, which you mentioned, uh, those are people that scored higher on that inflammation spectrum quiz, which is eliminate is four foods plus four more or eight. So it's the core four plus four more. It's, it's nuts and seeds, legumes, nightshades, which are peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, uh-huh. white potatoes, goji berries, plant, like plant group of nightshades. Ashwagandha, unfortunately. Yeah, ashwagandha. <laughs> and then the last one would be eggs. And again, those are especially the eliminate track. It, those are all real foods. There's nothing right. inherently wrong with them, but back to bioindividuality, what works for one person, even if it's a healthy food may not work for you. So we have to look and find out what your body loves. And you may find, or like the person that's doing that track, which is the eight, removing those eight foods for eight weeks, and then we reintroduce them. They may find they do fine with six of those foods, but not with two. But by avoiding those two, they can feel so much better. It can really modulate their health in a powerful way. And there's certainty and discernment on avoiding those foods is not punitive or punishing or some diet that they're doing. It's they would rather feel fantastic than they miss those two foods. Right. Or maybe it's four of those eight foods. Maybe it's six of those eight foods. I mean, depends on the person. So it's really going back to, again, this personal experience of finding out what your body loves. And that's that translation that I want people to make and have for themselves to make, be that catalyst from a program that they read about in a book to really just owning it for their life and, and having agency over their health again, or maybe for the first time in their life. So it is definitely an important tool. And of course, we're not talking just about food in the book as well, because it isn't just about food. Right. Uh, there's a lot of non-food inflamers as well. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit more about the elimination diets and also the reintroduction phase and kind of, because I feel that that right now is people are really struggling because they've got so big, because there's so much um, restriction out there in the wellness space. I mean, people are doing carnivore to get, you know, relief from symptoms or people are on autoimmune protocol for years instead of reintroducing foods. And then there's the intuitive eating movement, which is like, well, you should just be able to eat kind of everything and feel great. And I'm someone that I've been there. I've done that. I've done the elimination protocols. I've reintroduced as much as I can. And I always say like, you have to push the boundaries, but I feel that I've also you know, got done the emotional and mental work. Right. And I I know Mm -hmm. not everyone's there. It's like, I'm on chapter 25, some people on their chapter one. So for those starting out, like how do they reconcile essentially the emotional part of this, the fear of of flaring with reintroductions or the fear of, you know, people get paralyzed. They they become to be scared of these foods of nuts or eggs or nightshades, you know, Um, what's your kind of best advice for those people? 
Yeah. So it's definitely what I'm immersed in on an almost hourly basis with patients. Cause that's really what I'm focusing on is looking at these variables and foods being part of that variable that I take into consideration and walking people through this path. So look, if someone has an overt autoimmune condition or has autoimmune reactivities, at least to some degree, I honestly, and I'm not just saying this, this is what I do, but I honestly feel like having somebody outside of yourself can be very advantageous. So, and we do everything we can to make sure functional medicine is accessible and affordable to people. So I, sometimes you do need someone outside of yourself mm. to kind of point you in the direction because it's hard to be your own health advocate sometimes and do it completely alone when you're the person also feeling really lousy. So there's that component of it. But let's just say they don't have, they're not ready for a functional medicine doctor or they don't have access to it for whatever reason, or they just really want to do it on their own, which is certainly uh, commendable. Then I would say they have to really focus on getting their head and their heart right and really focus on renegotiating their relationship with food. And that is what I just said is easier said than done. And it's not something that happens overnight. I understand right. that. But it's so, it's a journey worth taking. And sometimes I find that it's almost better to, first of all, you have to put it in context with the case. How severe are the flares when you bring those foods back in? Um, for some people, those flares are very severe. And at that point, and I had this conversation in the book, they may want to stay in that elimination phase longer right. because they're eating nutrient dense foods. They're eating into their full. This is not deprivation. This is not like kind of like unsustainable. They're eating some of the planet's most nutrient dense foods and they're eating in to their full very decadently. But at the same time, I want the person to explore uh, reintroduction. But sometimes like the eight weeks, like I say in the book, sometimes that's just the tip of the iceberg for people. This right. is not like where eight weeks is like the end. You just have to do reintroduction after eight weeks. No, maybe it takes longer. So if you start doing reintroduction a little bit and you notice, no, this is not making me feel good. And then I would say maybe scale back a little bit, but through that whole part, and that's what I really encourage throughout the whole book is to infuse this whole process with grace and lightness to not have this sort of dread and shame or fear and anxiety mm -hmm. around the reintroduction because these are all healthy foods. I'm not having the person bring back tons of junk food. This is all stuff that I want them to bring back in. And the way that we do it in the book is such a small amount to begin with where we aren't saying, okay, now have a big bowl of nuts or a big like <laughs> bowl of nightshade, have a nightshade party. Uh, it's We're leaning into it to do it safely. So if there is, in fact, something physiologically going on with this food and it is causing some sort of reaction or flare up or contributing to that, we are doing it and leaning it in such a smart, sustainable, safe way to maybe ease people's hearts and minds about that. That the way, if you do the reintroduction, the way that I advocate it for people to do in the inflammation spectrum, it's quite safe. But let's just say, even when we're doing it the safe, proper reintroduction way, let's say there is still a flare up from that, like a, a little of a flare up because we're leaning into it. Then that's just the person's body speaking to them to say, look, it's a little bit too soon. Let's not bring this in right now. So maybe they move on to the next food or maybe they say, okay, I just need a couple more weeks to calm things down. Right. So that's what I would, I would say for the person. If they're doing it for the way I advocate it for in the book, it's really is a gentle leaning into these foods. So not fret about that. Right. And also I like to, I always think like, cause framing the way you frame these things, I think is everything. And it's part of the process and you're, you're getting information. So even if you have that little baby flare and you know, what people don't realize is after they've done the elimination protocol and they've quieted the inflammation, oftentimes these flares aren't as severe as they were before. This is information. Like now, you know, like definitively, and this is like, this is your body telling you, like, this is more, 
I would say holds more weight than even a blood test than any, you know, people are like, Oh, can I test my food, my food intolerances? And I'm like, I agree that elimination protocols are the gold standard. Yeah. There's no food sensitivity test is going to give you the same data that this system will, of reintroduction, elimination and reintroduction will give you. Right. And definitely has to be slowly. I do have some people, I know I run into this with some of my clients that I see through my like NTP is that they, they're trying to do reintroductions and they're like, but I don't feel anything. I don't feel any different. I never, I don't notice, or um, I can't tell. I, I guess I feel a little bit better. And then, you know, they're kind of, they feel disconnected from their bodies. What do you do in that instance? Like what's your advice to people who feel completely like a complete disconnect from their symptoms? Yeah. And, and for them, we know every food feeds inflammation or fights it, but some of them are negligible modulators of the biochemistry where it isn't creating significant enough shifts in their biochemistry to cause noticeable symptoms. And that's a good thing, right? right? I mean, that's all right. <laughs> lucky you. Then, lucky you. Well, I mean, <laughs> many, many people would want to be you. So I would say just keep moving forward. If you like that food, it's not causing any uh, changes. And look, what are the changes? We go into detail in the book because it's, right. Could be gastrointestinal symptoms like bloating, diarrhea, loose like looser stools. It could be a skin reaction. It could be just a flare up of any symptoms you you were dealing with before. It could be any number of problems. And we're going through the different checklists in the book to kind of see what those check engine lights, so to speak, are uh, for the body. Um, but if you keep moving forward. It doesn't need. We're not trying to look for problems when there aren't none. Uh, aren't any. We just want to keep moving forward. Um, And if you can have seven of those eight foods back, fantastic. That's great. That's the point. That's a great, you have way more flexibility. You have more immune inflammatory flexibility than the next person. That's all that that means. That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. I think people sometimes they want to, because they want an answer. They're like, but you know, sometimes like it's not there. Like yeah. maybe you have to focus on other things. And this is kind of what I want to talk about next is the lifestyle aspects and the, the mental aspect of it, because I feel that that can be the hardest part for people. And again, there's such a connection, right? People, it's like, well, you have to manage your stress and they're not realizing that by being overly stressed or, you know, being in a sympathetic dominance, like it's affecting their digestion, which is in turn affecting their gut, which is in turn affecting their immune system. So it's all connected, but how mindfulness is a big part of your book. I love that in the book, I mean, you do talk about it a lot and you have affirmations and the power of positive thought in, in healing. So how do you encourage your patients, um, you know, to give the mindset piece adequate attention? Oh my goodness. It's so important. And, and that's really a, a major part of how I wanted to interweave all of these concepts into the book. Cause it's not just about the clinical nutrition and the functional medicine, like lab food science standpoint of it, which is certainly a, a major part of it, but what's the ethos of it? What's the context of it? Like you said, how are we even framing why we're doing what we're doing? Because you could be eating really healthy foods, but you know, serving your body a big slice of stress every day, you could be eating really healthy foods, but having such a negative attitude towards it and the your frame of mind of which you eat when you're eating the food determines an outcome as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, stressing and striving and anxiety fueled motivation towards wellness is going to be unsustainable. So a a fertile ground for sustainable wellness is really born out of self-respect and really saying, okay, how can I love my body enough to feed it good things? Um, And I I know that you know, but a a mantra that we talk a lot about is you can't heal a body you hate. You cannot shame your way into wellness. And that is a not just because it sounds nice, it's because it actually is true. So true. Mm-hmm. And it's 
it's definitely an important part because in the mindfulness part, like each person, depending on their quiz score in the book, they'll have their own mantra that they can focus on. And then we talk about other things too, beyond just mantras, just acts of stillness, acts of mindfulness, acts of calming and parasympathetic, resting, digesting, because all of that is fertile ground for healing. Because it's it's not just about what you feed your body with food, it's also what you feed your head and your heart and your spirit, because all of that's also influencing your biochemistry. So these non-food inflamers that I talk about in the book, things like stress and a lack of sleep or exposure to toxins and the products that people are using in their home or on their skin, screen time and technology and all of these things are also influencing our health and our inflammation levels. Absolutely. I think that um, I also, you know, I, I say something similar where it's like, you can't, you can't change from a place of hate because the outcome won't be positive. Like if you are, if you want to, you can't hate your body and will it to change from that dark space because it's not going to get healing. It's like love begets love. And so, yeah. and I think often people, you know, they're doing the elimination and they, they're feeling like it's restrictive and yeah, the, the mindset framing it as I love myself. So I'm taking care of myself. But that can be really hard with some people with autoimmune disease because oftentimes there's so much other issues going on. I know there's some interesting research, like the connection between like, you know, the vagus nerve, it's essentially like body soul connection and the the prevalence of autoimmune disorders in people with childhood trauma. Mm, Um, And so I think that I'm a huge proponent of mental health, like something, you know, like I think in another life, I must've been a psychologist because I feel like I'm with a lot of my clients. It's like when we get into stuff, I'm like, you know, I think everyone should see someone to talk to about those things. Um, It's so much, it's, it's one and the same, you know, when you look at, it's the bi-directional relationship, your, your physiology impacts your thoughts and emotions, like hormone imbalances, neurotransmitter issues, inflammation and gut issues impacts our thoughts and emotions, but our thoughts and emotions impacts our physiology too. So it's this, it's this connectedness between, between the mind and the body. That's so important. You're right. You're absolutely right. And, and there's studies to show that people that have gone through traumatic life events that in the past, even if it's years prior, right. uh, can be this accumulative thing that can trigger the genetic predispositions for autoimmunity. And if you even look at what's happening on a physical level with autoimmunity, it's when the immune system atta- is attacking the self. And how many people, especially women, are doing that on a on a mental emotional level? They're attacking Every themselves. Day. And that's what's happening on a physiological level with autoimmunity. Absolutely. Like you said earlier, it's like we're, t- we're telling our body, like everything we think and we say and we do, it's like you're sending those messages to your genes. Like it's going to affect your gene expression. Yeah. It's, totally. it's wild. Absolutely. You also do a lot of work um, with adrenal fatigue or like, you know, HPA access disorder. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something else that specifically women kind of dig their, like in the pursuit of wellness, dig themselves into these holes. <laughs> I call it like the escalation issue where it's like, I'm going to change my diet and I'm going to start working out and then I'm going to start fasting and then I'm going to start this. And then it's like, oh my gosh. So what are some of the habits that you see that are, or patterns that you see that the mistakes that, you, that the people make in, in regard to this, where they're kind of taking that pursuit of wellness and um, it's backfiring because of- yeah. You're saying as far as their their um, mental space, yeah, mental space, or even just like adrenal exhaustion after a while, or oh, um, and the, the burnout. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have to. People have to have healthy margins in their life. I mean, look, stress is one of those words that it's thrown around very flippantly in our space of wellness. But look, stress is 
actually, I mean, human species wouldn't be here today without our, uh, have some grit and to be able to handle some stress. So I think in some ways we have to not get confused because I think in some ways we need to be more resilient as a human race and be get a little bit more connected to nature in that way to get stronger in many ways because we're so pacified with, with the luxuries of modernity. Yes. But I, on the flip side, what I mean by stress and what many of us are trying to say and communicate, maybe not in the most eloquent way in the space, but we're talking about chronic stressors of moder- modernity. It's right. like the constant stimulation of, of technology. It's the constant rat race of 21st century living. It's the constant barrage of, of even like when we talk about stress, it's not just mental, emotional stress. It's also the products that people are using in their bodies and the physiological stress that's when things are going into our bloodstream from like cleaning products or beauty products or the, like the pesticides and herbicides in their food. All of that is stressors, but it's that accumulative confluence, that perfect storm of factors that is stressing out the body. And certainly the mental, emotional stress is part of that, but it's not the only component of it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's this growing mismatch between genetics and epigenetics. So it's this, our gene- genetics have known one thing for 10,000 years. And then very, very over the past hundred or so years, we have changed everything that our genes are exposed to. And that's what researchers are looking at is the major problem. So emptying that, that buckets as much as you can with all of these stressors is definitely the goal here. The bucket is our genetic tolerance to stressors. We all have different buckets. Some people have big buckets, some people have small buckets. We all, some people can smoke three meters, a couple pack of cigarettes a day, drink and not sleep and eat like crap, but they don't have any problem. And then some people, they're doing all the stuff and their buckets are tend to be smaller because they're getting flare up, flare ups even then. So mm-hmm. you can't change your bucket size, but you can change what you put in it. And all of these things like food and stress and toxins and infections, all this stuff are the things that fill up the bucket. And when it overflows, it's when these symptoms manifest. So the burnout, HPA access issues, when, when it's a, what they're calling adrenal fatigue is really mm-hmm. hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access. It's all of this, all of these stressors in our life that's really impacting our fight or flight sympathetic system. And what HPA access issue is, is this constant sympathetic mode that people are in. And cortisol is not inherently bad. Cortisol should be higher in the morning and then a nice S-shaped circadian rhythm throughout the day to allow serotonin to convert into melatonin and Mm -hmm. for you to get a good night's sleep. But people with HPA access issues, cortisol is out of balance. So cortisol is high when it should be low or low when it should be high or always low or always high. Depends on the person. So that's when labs come in and we typically do a urine and saliva test to kind of gauge their specific hormonal imbalances. And then also put 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 that in context with other hormones like testosterone, progesterone, estrogen, thyroid hormones, also putting it in context with their health history and context with, okay, well, let's just say the cortisol levels are out of balance. Let's say they are really low or are, are really high. And keep in mind too that cortisol is an immunosuppressant. It's an anti-inflammatory that your body makes endogenously. So sometimes in states of inflammation, cortisol does come up and it's actually needed. It's the body's sort of checks and balances going on, but you have to deal with why the inflammation levels there, or it's really low and then inflammation's out of control. It's not being regulated appropriately. So context is really important because you always want to go upstream. In functional medicine, we also want to ask the question, we all always want to ask the question, why is it this the way that it is? 
So if cortisol is out of balance, well, why? There typically is an upstream issue to that. So what stressors are going on? Is it because the body's been under stress for so long that cortisol is then really low? It's not able to regulate stress appropriately and it's not able to regulate inflammation appropriately? And is adrenaline overcompensating for that? And they're having impacts from that, the constant fight or flight sympathetic response. Well, what's going on? We have to look at a good health history. And that's where a, a proper comprehensive health history is so important to understand the context of why things are the way they are in a lab. And, you know, I, and then I would just do a good differential perspective of why that is the way that it is. Is it some a mental, emotional stressor? Do they have a toxic relationship at home or is their job causing them stress? Do they, are they not getting enough sleep? Is there is some sort of chronic infection like Epstein-Barr virus that's causing this sort of low-grade stress? Is it mold? Is it, you know, it's, is there something going on in the gut that's impacting the gut brain axis and that's causing brain hormonal axis? There's so many possibilities. But what we see is HP axis dysfunction is just like the ripple effect of right. what the body's trying to handle or, and is not able to. Like a consequence of something that's happening um, in a more foundational part of like health, essentially. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's a, that's a big topic these days because like essentially like the allostatic load that people have is just, it's a lot, right? Because we, like, I, th- I like what you said about grit and I, I, that's something I feel very strongly about because, you know, you like, think about World War II, like, man, those people had grit, like humans did hard stuff. We can do hard things. And I think that's important to still to do that for for us to be resilient and tough. But again, yeah. you know, our ancestors weren't dealing with endocrine disruptors or they weren't yeah. dealing with, you know, working 80 hour work weeks and everything else. And, um, and it's hard, I think, to, to separate, right. Or, well, right. I'm just, just, you know, it's just my soap and my shampoo and what I'm cleaning my house with. And, you know, um, or again, like a toxic relationship at home. And that is so tough because like, you know, how do you, I don't know, how do you help someone or navigate, you know, inspire them to yeah. make those changes. Right. Right. And I think that it's interesting. We've seen over the years that when people, there's things you can, tr- can control and the things you can't control. So when we're looking at immersing ourselves in these cases as, as, from our functional medicine perspective, it's very interesting to see, okay, let's control the things we can control. And most oftentimes you can move the needle in powerful ways and realizing you're not able to control everything. And you're able to really move the needle to a really awesome place where the person's feeling a lot better. And when they get to that place of health and more resilience and they're feeling better, their head's above the water, they're feeling like themselves, then they're, they have the frame of mind and time has passed and they've had this sort of spiritual, physical uh, transformation over that time. And then at that point, they can start making decisions from a place of clarity. It's hard to make all these decisions when you're being drowned by flare-ups and inflammation or imbalances in the body. But when you get to the place of strength and resilience and health, then it's sometimes it's like, okay, no, I, I need to find another career. Like this is unsustainable now and I'm ready. I'm strong enough. I'm, I'm brave enough. I feel good enough to make that decision. I, I have the bandwidth to find another job or it's this relationship isn't working for me and I need to get in counseling now, or we need to separate because this is not sustainable and you have more clarity on that. So discernment is gained when people aren't drowned by the health problems. So that's what I've seen. That's my experience consulting people. That is so accurate and so well put. I mean, I relate to that so much. And I think a lot of my listeners do as well. I mean, absolutely. It's like when you feel better and you feel like yourself and you have mental clarity and you don't have the brain fog and the fatigue, like 
you can do the things that you want to do. You can set those, you even gain the confidence to set yeah. healthy boundaries. Totally. Yeah. Which definitely then helps with everything else. That was so that's, that's really well put. Thank you. Awesome. Well, one last thing. And then before we let you go, cause I don't keep you here forever, although I probably could and ask you a million questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just love this. I mean, I think, um, healing the power of food and you talked a lot about even in the elimination phase in, you know, that there's going to be these therapeutic nutrients that people are going to eat, be eating the super nutrient dense foods. And I'm all about that. Like I'm all about food as medicine. So what are your like top five nutrient dense? Like, I mean, I don't always love the term superfood, but for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, superfoods. What are your yeah. favorite ones? <laughs> well, it depends you know, on the person, right? It's it, for me, my, my superfood, so to speak, my nutrient dense food is medicines are going to be different than someone else's. Right. But I love like soups and stews. I think mm. making them gentle on the gut. A lot of people are loading up on all these plant foods, which are great. Like my first book is Ketotarian. It's a mostly yes. plant-based ketogenic book. I am a fan of, of a clean, well-formulated plant-centric diet. But a lot of people are having lots and lots and lots of raw vegetables and it's causing digestive problems and their body's not breaking it down because we aren't just what we eat. We are what we absorb and we are what we are bodies able to absorb. So many people are eating all these plant foods, but it's causing digestive distress and they're not able to even assimilate and break down and utilize the nutrients that are in those plant foods because of an unhealthy gut. So I, I, that's why I love like soups and stews and you can have it like obviously like a chicken bone broth base or a galangle plant-based vegetable. Like galangle is a relative to ginger. You could do a ginger like mm-hmm. vegetable based and the vegetables are cooked and, you know, even pureed for some people. And, uh, it's soft and easy to digest. Yeah. So it breaks down to like the fibers and even the anti-nutrients, like the light reduces lectin content and yeah, all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you could use like a pressure cooker to further break it down. Mm-hmm. Um, the lectins and the phytic acids and the, the fibers that could be irritated into some people because we live in a time where gut health issues are so prevalent. Yeah. yeah. I love, I'm a big fan of wild caught fish and fresh fatty fish as far mm-hmm. as the bioavailable omega fats and fat soluble vitamins that they provide. I love avocados. I think that those are a great food for people to focus on. I love olives and extra virgin olive oil. I think that's another great food. Uh, shellfish for people that don't have allergies to it. I think those are like nature's multivitamins uh, as far as as uh, so many micronutrients and uh, things that people need like selenium and zinc for your thyroid hormones mm-hmm. and um, iron, bioavailable iron for people with iron deficiencies. And organ meats is a, another superfood too. Right. So liver or any other organ meats are, are rich with bioavailable vitamins as well. So that's a variety of superfoods for me. Yeah, I love all of those. I think those are some of mine too. I love smoked oysters. They're my obsession because I feel like they're so easy to get. You know, you can't get oysters everywhere. I used to live in, I lived in, San, I'm from Miami. I lived in San Diego and then also Hawaii. But um, okay. now we're in Virginia and like getting seafood here wasn't as like awesome. But yeah, canned oysters, smoked oysters and olive oil. And I'm just like, and they're like $4 a can. I'm like, people, I'm like, just yeah. get them, eat them. <laughs> like, right. So good. So, you know, yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Cole, for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom with us. Everybody can go get the Inflammation Spectrum and Ketotarian. They're anywhere books are sold and on Amazon, correct? Yeah, anywhere books are sold. And we have the links at drwillcole.com too. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, I love your approach and I think it's phenomenal. helping out so many people. So thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for the kind words and thank you for your support and, and kindness all around. My pleasure. Have a good one. You too. Bye, everybody. That was amazing. 
we have some awesome guests lined up um, going forward. I wanted to remind you all that my next book is launching March 10th. Made Whole, Made Simple will be hitting shelves near you, bookstores. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound. And if you pick up a copy, that would be amazing. This book is all about learning how to listen to your uh, body and your signs. And it's not about a diet, but how to become the leading expert in you. I'm extremely proud of this book and it has a ton of research in it and over 140 mouthwatering, allergen-friendly, real food recipes. And I really think it's a wonderful tool for anyone who wants to get healthier and kind of understand what's happening in their body. So Made Whole, Made Simple, March 10th, and I will be on book tour. Uh, more of that information um, on my blog. We will add the link to the show notes as well. I hope you get the book. I hope you love it. And I really hope to see you on tour. Thanks guys. Until next time.